Welcome to Bootlegged Innovations with your host, John Schultz. Each week, we show you how to make your business enterprise more efficient with proven techniques that will help you spend less, break less, and make more. Now, here is John Schultz. Welcome to Bootlegged Innovations. Uh, I'm your host, John Schultz. Uh, This is actually episode six. Uh, Remember our mission statement uh, for Bootlegged Innovations is that uh, we help bridge the gap between the needs of the business and the ability of the workforce to execute in in a secure and resilient environment. And I want to kick off this week's show by thanking my guests. Uh, Obviously, last week we uh, re-ran the amazing first episode of uh, Bootlegged Innovations with our guests the author of the book Platform Revolution, Marshall Van Elstein, as well as uh, as well as serial uh, digital entrepreneur Andy, Andy Tim. Uh, then the week before Labor uh, Memorial Day, we actually uh, reviewed a sh- uh, we focused on workforce of the future, focusing on a couple of studies that were done by the National Association of Manufacturers and the Brookings Institute. And our guests to kind of lead us through that discussion were uh, Dr. Jennifer Blaylock. Kelly Ireland, and we were anchored by a longtime friend of mine, Tim Dutton, who specializes in workforce development and, uh, and manufacturing. I uh, really appreciate uh, th- their contribution to the show. Uh, for the Roosters and I, this is our 13th week of confinement at, at home, so uh, I'm trying to uh, get used to a full quarter. Again, you know, for the listeners, I have not been home more than three consecutive weeks since I graduated college in 1990. So this has been uh, this has been quite the change for me. And the fact that uh, many of the states that I'm wanting to go to, uh, because I'm from the state of Florida, they uh, they actually uh, will actually require me to quarantine for 14 days whenever I get there. So I haven't been able to travel at all for 13 weeks going more than just a little bit stir crazy. And I'm sure that uh, for those of you who have been listening frequently to the show, you know that uh, my roosters, uh, Ricky and Silver, are likely to chime in at any time. Uh, I was told by one of my long-term friends that uh, he actually finds the rooster segment as some of the most insightful pieces of the show. So uh, we'll we'll roll with that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what we got to done in this last uh, couple of weeks. First of all, a good friend of mine introduced me to something that is a little bit deadly, and that is uh, screwball peanut butter whiskey. Uh, actually, had my first bottle of screwball, and uh, which has led to me purchasing a second bottle of screwball. Uh, so, uh, highly recommend screwball peanut butter whiskey to the audience. Uh, the other thing is that uh, my guests that are on the show this week and I will be talking about the fact that we we've closed our first opportunity and doing our first uh, validated system uh, in the food and beverage manufacturing area for a uh, COVID response as part of a broader reopening America campaign uh, that we're extremely excited about and we're going to that's going to be the, a good portion of the feature of this show uh, before we get started with introducing my guest uh, I got to tell the audience a little bit about a security and surveillance uh, story uh, from my river house. So I had my son go down to pick up my DR trimmer that I had stored down at the river house because once the farm wasn't working. And he calls me up and he says, hey, dad, you're going to get when to come out here because someone's broken into the house and they stole the DR trimmer. And he goes, and there's something really weird going on down at the boat dock, but I haven't made my way down there. So I don't know what it is. 
So I go out and sure enough, somebody had broken in. Uh, they, they had trashed the place. Uh, they'd taken the DR trimmer. And then as I walk out to the boat dock, I find a 25 foot houseboat that was capsized and tied off at our boat dock. Not my boat, nobody's boat that I know of. And so I call the police. And in the meantime, I have my son walk across the street to see if they had seen anything. And they said, well, we've seen some people over there, but they thought maybe they were with you a couple, a couple of weeks ago. But you also know that right at the bottom of your boat ramp, there is actually a car. Some lady had actually driven off of our boat ramp into the Nassau River. Uh, and then at the last moment decided that she didn't want to commit suicide and left the car there. And because she was uninsured, no one would touch it. And it was going to be a four to $5,000 bill to actually get this thing towed out. And I thought they were kidding. And so when the police officer got there and we went through, he ran the plates, uh, ran the uh, tag on the, uh, the boat that was capsized in my, in my heart, in my boat dock. Turns out that the boat actually belonged to somebody who'd been dead for a year and a half. Uh, and he go in the cop, the police officer then said to me, Hey, by the way, you know about the car at the bottom of your boat ramp. Right. And I go, I thought that they were just kidding. He goes, no, that actually happened three weeks ago. And then right at the end, he says, Hey, by the way, I've got some good news. The car is no longer your problem. And I said, okay, what, what's going on? He goes, well, our diving team has been using the car for basically doing training and simulations. And when they came out here three days ago, the car had been dislodged from where it was and had floated upstream and is right now right underneath and caught up on the bridge and 60 feet deep. So it's no longer there. So someone tried to actually use my boat ramp to launch their boat. They hit this car dislodging the car so it could float away, crack the hull on their boat, and then had to tie this thing up to my boat dock. You just can't make this crap up. I mean, it is just absolutely unbelievable. I now have a boat that we don't know who owns it other than a guy that's been dead for a year and a half. So I've got some friends of mine that own a, a tugboat service, and they're going to come out. We're going to get it out of the water, and we're going to turn this uh, 25-foot houseboat into a tiki bar out of the uh, out of the river house <laughs> so with that let me get into uh this week's show uh, originally i had said that you know i did not want to focus on covid19 on the show i wanted to provide the listeners and myself quite frankly with at least one hour a week that was kind of a covid free zone that we would just focus on innovation however What's happened since then is we have seen such a misinformation campaign of so much garbage going out into the marketplace, forcing people to make some really, really bad decisions. And then when we came across a comprehensive solution uh, being offered by our guests, Hewlett Packard Enterprises, HPE and Cognition, we really felt that it was important to start getting the message out into the marketplace of somebody really wanted to do a comprehensive COVID response. That was, do, that was doing more than just some random temperature screens uh, with inferior technology. Um, and they really wanted to get into contact tracing and changing their SOP and their audit trail that we really just felt like there was so much misinformation in the campaign that we, in the marketplace that we really needed to dedicate an episode to this. So my first guest 
uh, somebody that I've been working very closely with at uh, HPE. Uh, I consider him to be uh, my HPE quarterback, my HPE Sherpa. Uh, he may even be considered the drill sergeant at HPE boot camp at this point in time with all the things that, uh, that John and I have been through. Uh, John Zhang, could you uh, introduce yourself to the audience and a little bit about your role at HPE? Thanks so much, John. Really, really excited to be on your uh, podcast finally. And uh, uh, before I introduce myself, you know, one of the things um, when you started Bootleg Innovation, I said to myself and my colleagues agreed as well, what a fantastic name. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's the coolest name ever. And, uh, and for those, if you look up Bootleg, what does it mean? Right? It's uh, make, distribute, and sell. So there's some, some synchronicity there. So I like to you know, kind of have it as three M's, right? Uh, make, move, and market. And if you recall, John, not too long yeah. ago, who was the first customer account team that we worked with? 3M. 3M. <laughs> so there you go. Synchronicity is right there. Uh, but uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I lead the IoT uh, Edge Big Data AI Solutions and Technology uh, within HP North America. I've been on this IoT journey now for uh, a number of years, and I work collectively, collectively with all our functional groups within our organization uh, to really solve problems for all our customers, you know, from the commercial segment to the public sector. And you know, the work that we're doing around the IoT edge use cases are critical um, in terms of helping people solve real life problems just as we have today. So. Oh uh, yeah, very excited to be here and uh, continue our conversation here, John. Uh, fantastic. Uh, my second guest is a uh, serial digital entrepreneur, but his life didn't start off that way. He actually uh, he actually started his career with America's best first job, uh, and he now finds himself as the CEO of uh, of Cognition. Uh, Matthias Klein, please introduce yourself and explain a little bit about uh, what sets Cognition apart. Hi. Uh and thanks, John, for, for having me on the show. Great to be here. Uh, I was a little nervous when uh, you first invited me and told me about uh, your roosters upstaging your other guests. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, they've been quiet so far today. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> maybe maybe we let our Siberian Husky out to take care of the rooster problem today. Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll do my best to hold my own here. But, uh, you know, like I said, thanks for having me. I'm the uh, co-founder CEO of Cognition. Um, uh, we developed a, a game-changing enterprise AI platform uh, that automates security, compliance, and uh, a number of other high-value business operations. And we do that in this uh, patented hyper-converged platform that we created. Um, and really what it does is allows your commercial facilities, your commercial properties, to be able to see, think, and act on their own uh, to really drive you know, improvement in your operations and your security, lower costs. And, and what happened uh, recently, obviously, is that we've uh, you know, taken those solutions because our clients have asked us about how they can be applied for the, the COVID emergency response, and, and we've had tremendous uh, you know, uptake around this. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So, but our whole smart building platform really gives owners and operators of facilities, you know, the comprehensive uh, you know, tools they need to be able to open and stay open and do so safely. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of misinformation uh, in the marketplace. And what I've seen in, with regards to this whole concept of reopening America is where organizations seem to be seem to be responding in um, four different ways, depending on the type of organization, type of company they are. 
the first response uh, mechanism that I've seen is that uh, there are certain companies that are just leaving it entirely up to their employees. Uh, their employees are responsible for their own PPE. Their employees are responsible to determine whether or not they think it's safe to return to work. And if they think it's safe to return to work, then they do. Um, that's kind of response mechanism one. I'm not going to say that's a majority opinion, but there's a lot of that going on in the marketplace. Uh, then the second one that I've seen going on is where people are creating what I consider to be a false sense of security uh, with a largely what I consider uneducated or strictly PR move where they are doing very broad brush temperature screens uh, with very low end uh, thermal devices uh, thinking that they can pick a hot face out of a crowd uh, not recognizing that uh, that you know only less than two percent of people with COVID actually ever run a fever uh, and it's largely they did it to be early adopters show movement and did it largely as a PR move the third group that I've seen is uh, organizations that are only focusing on providing PPE and but they the challenge is and the PPE, providing the PPE is a great thing the challenging is is they're still dependent on human mechanisms for enforcement of making sure that the PPE is actually being widely used and properly used uh, and then the fourth and final one which is less than one percent of what I've seen going on in the marketplace is that people that are organizations that are applying a comprehensive approach that enforces the rules of engagement and actually monitors the compliance. And that's really what we're here talking about today is this combined solution that Cognition and HPE have come to the marketplace with uh, really is that comprehensive solution that uh, monitors compliance uh, and uh, enforces things with workflows. And so John, you know, your CEO, Antonio Neri, made some big pledges and commitments with regards to reopening America. And uh, can you hit on some of the highlights, uh, you know, in a day and age when, you know, corporate profits are under such a microscope, uh, why HPE thinks it is uh, so important to come to the table in the way that they have with some of the technology funds that they've come with uh, for corporations that need assistance with, uh, with reopening? Yeah, thanks, John. You know, the world has changed and, and changed pretty dramatically um, since a few months ago, right, when we were together in Houston. And, uh, and um, it's going to continue to change. And there's a lot of challenges uh, that we, we're facing today. And one of the key pillars uh, that we have at HP is being a force for good. Um, I'm kind of a geek, so I always think about that as being like Star Wars and uh, may the force be with you. But in all seriously, seriousness, it's all about how do we use technology to help people with their lives, with their businesses and their organizations and making a difference and deli delivering significance, um, you know, as we work with our customers. So a few weeks ago uh, in North America, uh, Dan Belanger, who's our general manager, actually uh, led with all the employees within North America, a huge customer outreach. Uh, all 3,000 plus employees, we went out and uh, called our customers and just wanted to make sure they're okay. Um, it wasn't uh, selling anything, it was just reaching out and just making sure that uh, we're there for them uh, if they need anything. 
So, you know, when you talk about opening up back America, and it's really not just America, it's the world, uh, because HP is a global company, is, you know, how do we, you know, take what we've been doing around IoT edge and AI. And in fact, like I said, the work that we've been doing around these solutions matter more than ever. Um, you know, what's critical right now is reopening the com economy, businesses, and getting people back to work safely. And, you know, manufacturing, for example, you know, how do they open their plants back up while keeping the workers safe? If you think about it, nothing else really matters. So with incredible urgency, um, and I've just been really impressed on how fast we've been able to work together with you and Cognition, we've been able to pull together, uh, leveraging the technologies, enabling these technologies and putting together a scalable solutions uh, through our Point Next Services organization, uh, solutions that could solve for fever uh, detection screening, um, touchless entry, as well as contact tracking and tracing. And again, a lot of misinformation out there, right, John? And we'll kind of dive into that. But it has to be a scalable solution, has to be architected in the right way that doesn't disrupt the customer's operations. And it's not about providing a point solution that will go away. Um, I think, you know, these customers that we're working with, I mean, this is serious stuff. You know, we're talking about people's lives, their businesses are at stake, a lot of liability issues, security issues. So all those things have to be taken in, in consideration. Couldn't agree more, John. Very, very well put. Uh, Matias, we've, the market is absolutely littered right now with systems. I mean, almost within, I'm going to say a week or so of COVID hitting. Uh, you started just seeing the market bombarded with these temperature screening systems in particular. Can you explain to the audience why temperature screening is necessary but not sufficient? Absolutely. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, at the end of the day, I really love what, what John was talking about around, you know, being a force for good and making a difference. I mean, it's the same mission that, that Cognition has and why we started the business was really to help make the world a little smarter and more secure. And when you think about the fever screening, the thermal camera systems, you know, they're purported to be able to help keep workers safe, right? To keep facilities more, you know, um, safe so that people can uh, keep their operations going. And, you know, really what's, what's needed in doing that is a system that obviously is highly accurate, right? A system that is a high throughput, uh, that's non-contact, right? A lot of what we see out there are systems that you know don't have adequate um, hardware uh, sensors to be able to even do this job. So it's it's really kind of sad in some ways. You see what's happened in the market where you have you know tons of solutions coming out that you know didn't exist three months ago. Um, you know, cognition. We've got patented technology that we've been working on for uh, over three years now, and uh, you know it's proven in the Fortune 500 in you know demanding environments. And really, what we're trying to do is provide a system that is end-to-end, uh, -end, right? Just like you talked about, you know, these large corporations that want to open their facilities, want to do it at the enterprise scale, they need a system that is uh, not just accurate and safe, but is also highly automated. You know, one where, you know, the entire workflow for the screening process um, can be put into silicon and, and, and driven, you know, in a way that is safe, it's on contact, it's high throughput. And, uh, and I think what we're seeing is a lot of people want to be able to do that and not have it be a throwaway, right? And so these solutions that are all, you know, uh, coming out of, out of the woodwork, um, they're all um, throwaways, right? Most of them don't have sensors that are adequate for doing this job. 
many of them don't have any kind of integration to the broader workflow. And, and quite frankly, uh, none of them have uh, an underlying you know, intelligent platform like what we have at Cognition that is extensible to hundreds of additional enterprise you know, smart building and machine vision use cases. So you know, I think really if people are thinking about you know, what they want to do here, you know, my advice would be go for you know, solutions that are proven, that are enterprise grade, and that um, are not just point solutions, but rather you know, are extensible building blocks for a broader kind of smart, safe, uh, you know, secure facility uh, of the future. And that's really one of the things that really attracted me to the Cognition platform is the fact that at its core, it is a vision analytics AI platform that any vision analytic AI use case can be applied to, camera agnostic, sensor agnostic, uh, and then when you partner that with a great infrastructure partner like HPE, it's like the perfect marriage. Uh, so, John, that leads me to my next question. HPE, uh, Antonio, back in 2000, late 2017, early 2018, started talking about this, everything is a services march uh, that, that HPE is on uh, to try to get to everything as a service by 2023. Could you explain a little bit about that to the audience? Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, again, uh, some synergies here. 2023, 23 reminds me of Michael Jordan. Um, I'm based here uh, out in uh, the Chicago area. Grew up here pretty much. Uh, and I'll tell you my story here a little bit. But, uh, yeah, you think about the, the Bulls and the Last Dance, the Doctor series that just happened. Hopefully everybody had a chance to watch it. It's incredible. Brought back a lot of memories. Got a little emotional as, a, as they went through it. But it was a March for six. and. Today's uh, episode six, right, uh, of the championship. <laughs> but well, if you think about, you know, Michael Jordan and the mindset, right, it's the, you know, the, the mental toughness, the resiliency, and, and so forth. And you know, a little story about myself and how, you know, I came to grow up here in Aurora, Illinois, uh, Wayne's World, if you guys re recall uh, that <laughs> Wayne's movie. World, party time. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, <laughs> my, my grandfather on my dad's side uh, was a four-star general. Uh, during the time when the uh, communists, uh, the Red Army, uh, started invading and taking over. Um, and when they did, uh, there were one or two things you could do. Um, you could either stay there and uh, be imprisoned and uh, you know, punished, tortured, or you escape. And there was a number of uh, folks uh, that escaped to Taiwan. Um, my grandfather took his family to Hong Kong. Um, you've heard a lot of news right now in Hong Kong and China and and uh, a lot of the uh, distress out there. But, uh, you know, the, the story is that uh, I grew up in Hong Kong and, uh, and then uh, fast forward, you know, moved over here to the States. But it was a journey. And it was a journey where you continually have changes. The world changed, right? You know, think about my grandfather who was, who was done pretty well, right? Had a lot of property out there, being a general leader out there and then lose everything start back all over again. Um, and then, of course, my dad coming all the way over here and didn't know a lick of English, <laughs> but I had an opportunity to partner uh, with my uncle that time to start a, a, believe it or not, American and Chinese restaurant. So uh, I grew up as a shorter... <laughs> you, 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 were, you were infusion before infusion was cool. Yeah, exactly, right? We would have thought, you know, you know, a little foresight uh, could have done it even better. But... Uh, yeah, so, you know, you, you always have to make adjustments and, uh, you know, you, you have to um, have that mindset of uh, staying resilient. And especially now, I mean, we we're just talking before the call 
all the craziness that's going on around the world, um, you know, you just got to have to be positive and be, you know, like we said earlier, be a force for good and do, do what uh, matters for, for a lot of people. As you can hear, the rooster agrees. There you go. <laughs> I, knew, I knew it wouldn't take long. It was like, a, you know, Love we're 20 it. minutes into the show and they hadn't spoken up yet. And I'm like, what's going on with the roosters? But I knew they would eventually chime in. Uh, so, Matthias, you know, I myself, coming from a maintenance reliability background, was fortunate enough uh, back in my Eli Lilly days to go through training and certification up through level three from an infrared thermography perspective. So I understand that all not, not all temperature measurements are created equal. Uh, could you talk a little bit about if somebody wants to actually use temperature screening, which is highly recommended to be a portion of the solution, it's just not the solution. Uh, if somebody wants to do it, everything from the camera that they're selecting to the environment that they create for staging, what are some of the considerations that if they're wanting to do this, truly to protect their workforce and not just as a PR move that they ought to be, that they are going to need to consider. And, and it's a really important question because, you know, this technology is not new, but I think here in the U S you know, it's kind of rushed into the public consciousness. And so a lot of people are, you know, excited to put it in their facilities to help their facilities be, be safe. But um, you know, as we were talking earlier, you get a lot of substandard solutions coming out and people providing um, guidance that frankly uh, should should be avoided. Um, you, you know, as an example, you know these systems should not be deployed outdoors in sunlight. You know, they shouldn't be deployed where there's lots of draft. You know, air flow that sort of thing. I see people saying, "Oh yeah, you can get this little kiosk, you pop it up outside, and you know it's going to work." And we we know that's just not viable. You see people talking about you know processing a large crowd of people and picking someone out of the crowd who has a fever. Uh, we don't believe that's real. We think that's vaporware and that's marketing. Um, and I think people should be very skeptical if they see those sorts of things. At the end of the day, like you said, John, you need a very controlled environment. Uh, we recommend, um, obviously, only FDA-cleared cameras being used for this purpose. We, uh, we've partnered to um, uh, deploy the FLIR camera systems, which are FDA-cleared for elevated body temperature screening. And what we're doing is combining them with the uh, intelligent video and the AI. We're doing a technique we call data fusion, and basically what this does is it uses the AI to make the reading even more accurate. So if you think about it, for example, the most, um, uh, the most accurate location on the, on the human body to take the temperature with a thermal camera is the inner eye. It's like right here, it's called the inner canthus. And uh, it's right because there's a, there's a blood vessel right behind that eye, uh, right behind the inner eye. And so that's the spot where you want to take the, uh, the thermal scan from. Uh, if you get a generic thermal camera, it doesn't know the difference of, you know, this spot versus this spot versus the over here. And so you could get all kinds of false readings if the system is not intelligent enough to say, hey, I need a scan right there. The other thing, obviously, is that uh, we all have a different body temperature. So, um, you know, we hear, oh, everyone's normal temperature is, you know, 98 point whatever. But at the end of the day, you could be plus or minus a few, uh, you know, uh, 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 dots on that degree. So you could be like 98.5 or you could be 98.9 and that may be your normal temperature. Uh, if the system can't readjust for your baseline, it's going to false positive on certain people or false negative on others. And that's very dangerous, obviously, when you're trying to, you know, catch that, that person who, uh, who might get into this, into the facility with the fever. So all those adjustments for the environment, for the, uh, uh, the intelligence around, uh, you know, the person, the ambient conditions, where to do the temperature screen, and how to correct for any kind of aberrant you know, data that you may be seeing in that screening process, 
that can all be done in silicon in software and um you know you get a much much more accurate process um where you could screen people very effectively so john what matthias just alluded to is a fact that you have to have the right sensor you have to control the environment and you also have to be able to integrate and automate workflow how does hpe play a role in actually enabling and then day two support of those types of solutions yeah, and, and, you know, Cognition Solution um, is an example of what I mentioned earlier of a very scalable, scalable integrated solution. has all the elements of, you know, I know there's a lot of big headliners around IoT and AI, but at the end of the day, it's all about the data. Um, so for HPE, our strategy is very much uh, edge-centric, uh, cloud-enabled, and data-driven. And it's all about enabling it from a data pipeline perspective, all the way from the sensory edge, all the way AI. So what Matias mentioned, a lot of solutions out there is trying to do just one thing and they may not even do it well. What we're trying to do here is provide the best accuracy and prediction possible. And the only for you to do that is to get the right sensors. And think about the cameras are just sensors. Right. Uh, I know there's a lot of hype about all these different cameras and and so forth, but all it is is collecting that data. So now you could feed these models for learning, for training, and propagate it back for more decision making, real time decision making. So if you think about sense, infer, act, and learn, this whole infinite data loop, that's what HP is enabling with cognition, and we're doing it. So that it keeps it simple, because if you think about this convergence of information technology and operational technology, especially in this case, where you're dealing with a lot of operations and control, you really need to consider what I like to call the three C's. And when I say three C's, there's an S at, uh, you know, at the end, and I'll, I'll talk about that, which is compute, uh, connectivity, control, and services with secure security wrapping around it. Because in order for you to enable the state of pipeline, there's a lot of compute that you have to address at these edges. And the connectivity, which is that foundation, you have to network everything, it has to be secure. And then control, of course, is you know, being able to tap into the operations control systems and have insight and visibility and managing the operations. Um, I think Matthias mentioned about you know, being able to ingrain the technology with the processes. So that's another critical area. In order for you to do that, you got to have the services, right, from the advisory with the customer to understand what their business outcomes are, all the way to delivery and ongoing support. And uh, we try to make it simple by providing it as a service. And uh, I think the key here is, you know, customers want to have that confidence that they don't have to go to all these different People and organizations, they just want, you know, one place to go when there's uh, uh, challenges or support that they need and be able to consume it simply, just like the cloud model as well, right? Providing it as a service and also, uh, you know, if they want to, operational expenses versus capital expenses, right? A subscription service that allows them to have more predictability in how they consume the technology. Yeah, that's, you know, one of, again, one of the things that really attracted me to the cognition platform is the fact that it's got this ability to do uh, 
AI vision and vision analytics uh, combined, you know, what people don't recognize that whenever food manufacturers in COVID-19 have been out there, they've been considered essential services, but they have had so many regulations and challenges thrown their way uh, just over the last three months of things that they never had to deal with before. So for instance, now I have to assign my workers to two to six person work pods. From the time I clock in to the time I clock out, I'm supposed to be with my pod. I'm supposed to maintain social distancing from all the other pods. Before I go to work each morning, I have to fill out a checklist to basically say in the last 24 hours, have you? And if I've done any of these things, like uh, go to a large congregation, uh, have a poker game at my house where people came over to my house last night, if any of these types of things that I did, if I took an Uber to work, all of a sudden, I'm, you know, I'm not allowed admission into the manufacturing site. Surfaces that used to have to be uh, sanitized once a day now have to be done every two hours. Tools that used to be once a shift are now after every use. And the documentation trail that they're having to create for audit purposes so that if you have, um, you know, if you have, unfortunately, COVID zero case at your site, you know, you've got the CDC, you got the USDA, you got OSHA all coming down on your site to determine just how much cleanup decontamination uh, how many of your workers are you might have to uh, you might have to either furlough or put on extended leave to quarantine? All of these things happening, and that is a reason why a more comprehensive uh, response than just temperature screening when I'm walking into the plant is so important. And uh, and Matthias, you know, we talked about the importance of for temperature measurement specifically having. FDA 510A cleared cameras, uh, you know, very specialized camera, pretty expensive camera. For the balance of your use cases, though, do you require very, very specialized cameras and sensors? I mean, does a client have to plan on ripping and replacing most of their infrastructure in order to go with a solution like yours? Or are they able to wrap and extend around much of their existing infrastructure and then just augment it? I mean, this is such such an important um, issue because when we go into a, a large facility, um, this is the first thing most of the facility managers, the, the security folks ask us about. They say, look, we have all this infrastructure we've invested in. Uh, is your system compatible? And what we always tell them is, look, we're an open platform. We connect to whatever you have, uh, whatever your legacy infrastructure is, and then also whatever you're going to have in the future. Because the important thing that people, um, you know, on the, on the cutting edge here are doing with their smart buildings is they're putting in a softer defined infrastructure, right? A softer defined infrastructure for operations allows you to execute a large number of use cases on one set of rails, right? So our quick start fever screening solution, which we're deploying into these essential services businesses is really helpful for the automated screening, that non-contact high throughput screen that we talked about. And obviously using a high-end FDA cleared camera is our recommendation because you want that to be super accurate. And that's a new thing. So people are putting in a new sensory infrastructure at the screen, the entry, um, by all means, buy the best camera for that because you don't want to mess around. But when you're talking about the interior of the building or all the other places where you're trying to monitor something, you know, really any visible, you know, light camera will, will do it, including the existing CCTV X, you know, systems that a lot of people have widely deployed. Plug that in, not definitely not a rip and replace, but take the existing infrastructure and make it smarter, right? Make it more automated, uh, leverage it for more value. And when you do that with uh, a softer defined infrastructure, with a smart building AI behind your operations, 
it creates like a compounding ROI as you start extending it to add you know, additional use cases. So you may start today with the fever screening because that may be your most urgent need as an organization, but then you're gonna say very quickly, you know, we talked about this in the beginning of the show a little bit, right? Fever screening is not enough to have a safe building. You're gonna need touch a century because you don't want people to be grabbing the same door handles that everyone else is touching. You don't want them swiping on the same badge readers that everyone else is swiping on. So that's the next thing you're gonna need. And then from there, you might say, well, I need to do the social distancing adherence. I need to detect if people are wearing masks. I need to detect, I need to do the contact tracing. Uh, if you saw anything around the contact tracing uh, funds that were allocated under these emergency acts, it's tens of billions of dollars to hire people to do the contact tracing. And so just think about that. I mean, I have a lot of respect for this action, but uh, if you went to my mom and you asked her, she's 80 years old and said, hey, where, where have you been in the last two weeks and tell me all the people you talked to, I mean, she couldn't even tell you, you know, who she was with yesterday, probably, right? So it's just a very difficult task for humans to do. It doesn't matter if you're 80. I mean, I have trouble doing that. And so I think, um, you know, if you had a software in your building, right, that knew where your people were, and with one click of a button could report out a two-week trail of your uh, activity and the people who were around you and notify them immediately that they need to go self-quarantine, obviously that's going to be much more efficient from a contact tracing execution side, but it's also going to make it much safer for the occupants because they're going to know that that building has that you know history. They're going to know that if they get that text message, they can depend on it, that they probably were exposed. So, you know, otherwise it's, well... I think I remember Matthias might have been in that meeting with me, but I'm not sure, right? And that's very dangerous because if I was or I wasn't, that's the difference between me getting the virus or not getting the virus, right, and infecting others. Matthias, a lot of what you talked about there also was this concept of, of making investments. And very early in your life, your father required you to make an investment in yourself. Could you, uh, could you share that story with the audience? Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I um, kind of like John, um, am, I was born in uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, um, under a, a military dictatorship. Uh, so I have a you know, high esteem for, you know, freedom and democracy and, uh, and, and the, the, the privileges and the, and that we have in this country to be here. And, uh, but my parents did not really understand technology. My dad was a physician. And so when I got into computers at a pretty young age, I was kind of constantly bothering them about, hey, can I get this great giant honking computer? It was probably about the size of, you know, nothing like the cell phones and tablets kids are getting today, which are pretty cool. The thing I wanted was like, you know, the size of my desk. And uh, of course, my parents didn't get it. They were like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know? And uh, uh, but uh, I said, I got to take matters in my own hands. So I went uh, as soon as I could. I got a job flipping burgers at uh, McDonald's. Uh, America's best there. first job. Absolutely. It was a great experience in a lot of ways. I uh, uh, saved up for two years and uh, splurged and spent all my money on a, on a giant honking computer. And that's, that's how I taught myself how to code and uh, ultimately you know, turned me into a technology entrepreneur. So thank you, uh, thank you McDonald's. That's, that's created one uh, technology entrepreneur. That's yeah, that a fantastic <laughs> story. I love I love stories like that. Uh, you know, that's one of the things I really enjoy is getting to know uh, different things about my guests just over the course of doing business. If it wasn't for this show, you know, I would have not known. I probably never never found out about uh, you know. The the, uh, the the general grandfather or the uh, or the big honking computer uh, that all got funded by McDonald's. Uh, 
that's uh, that's fantastic. I, it seems like the route to becoming a technologist is through flipping hamburgers for both uh, Matthias and I, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah. we're working maybe in a Chinese restaurant. I did that too, John. <laughs> I was a delivery guy at Tasty House there, uh, here in Philadelphia. And, and, we, and we hit and we hit fusion when it came in fusion when it came to food. We hit fusion when it came to AI and and visual versus uh, versus thermal. And both times, by the way, that we mentioned, whether it be fusion or infusion, the roosters chimed in and agreed. Those apparently trigger words uh, for my roosters. So, John, uh, you know, HPE has multiple business units that need to engage in this type of comprehensive solution. Um, the, whether we're talking the edge line business, whether we're talking the Aruba business, Point Next, potential for Green Lake. Can you explain kind of the roles of some of those varying business units and how for a solution, comprehensive solution like this, how the full power of HPE kind of comes to bear? Yeah, and I, I touched on it uh, a little earlier with the three C's. So, you know, when you talk about the foundation of connectivity, Aruba, um, the leadership around Aruba's um, connect and protect is uh, second to none, right? I, I think uh, that's where, you know, when you think about uh, compute, you know, HPE being a leader in the data center core, data center uh, solutions, enabling these uh, enterprise workloads, um, is, again, key. Uh, you think about uh, the ability and having the breadth of services that we have. And I always talk about the power of we versus just HPE is because we have a huge partner ecosystem that we leverage. We cannot do what we do without our partnerships. Um, you know, my background, pretty simple. Um, you know, 10 years, I just uh, celebrated 10 years here at HPE. Uh, before that was with 3Com for uh, uh, 10 years before that. And then another decade earlier um, at Siemens, a uh, large uh, technology uh, company uh, based on Germany. And the common denominator in all that is uh, partnerships. Uh, all the new emerging technologies, and I had the uh, wonderful opportunity in these large uh, uh, companies to do uh, startups within these organizations. And in order for us to do video conferencing, not, you know, <laughs> three decades ago, and unified communications, etc., uh, we leverage partnerships. So, you know, cognition and their technology and and the services that Bootleg Innovations is providing. It's really allowing HPE now to leverage our entire portfolio, you know, through our hybrid IT. We really believe it's a hybrid world. It's now all public cloud, right? You're going to have all these disparate edges, distributed architecture that you have to consider. And then also with our uh, leadership around our mobility with Aruba, uh, because we are in a mobile world. I don't know if you guys remember um, this phone here, right? This rotary phone not too long ago. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Now we have you know AirPods and smartphones and everything like that. I mean, we you have to have a, a, a architectural approach that allows you to scale and continue building and layer on a mix of use cases depending on whatever business outcomes you have. And um, I really truly believe HP has the best and strongest portfolio to do that. And and again, we're going to have more and more differentiated workloads to consider. And you're going to have to be with a company that has been doing it for, for a long time. That's a fantastic response, John. And Matthias, another thing that I want to touch on uh, before we get into kind of another line of questioning is one of the other things that impressed me about cognition. The, ru the rules around privacy are evolving every day. They're different state to state. Sometimes you may have certain things written into your union contract with your workforce. Certainly different, uh, much tougher privacy laws right now in Europe. 
uh, versus the U.S. But when people start hearing about things like facial recognition and identity verification, people start worrying about uh, the ability to be able to control that and be in compliance with the rules and the regulations. And one of the things that impressed me uh, also about the cognition platform was just how robust the governance engine uh, is on cognition. I was wondering if you could just spend a couple of minutes talking a little bit about the importance of governance and privacy as we look to roll out use cases like this. Yeah, it's so important. Um, privacy uh, is, is, is probably the most important thing, right? Um, and what we are seeing obviously with a lot of these uh, surveillance technologies is the concern for privacy invasion or inappropriate use of the technology. So, you know, uh, you know, cognition. We don't we don't build any hardware of any kind. So we're just a software layer, and our approach is that you have all these different hardware platforms. You've got uh, cameras from various companies. You've got access control, maybe from different vendors in different buildings. What you need is a unifying uh, control plane that ties it together and can monitor it and uh, make decisions about what's going on. Right. So if you have that in a in a software defined infrastructure, you could set your policy and your governance in software. This is very important, right? Because if you're if you're streaming data from all these various systems and you wanna know, you know what's happening in this location or that one, you may have a different software defined policy. So for example, if you have operations in the EU, you would be subject to the GDPR. So you would have to have a policy in place in those locations that would enable, for example, the right to be forgotten, right? This is one of the features of the GDPR. Um, but if you're operating, let's just say, in my hometown in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, there is no such rule. Uh, does it mean that it's not important? No, it means it's still critically important. Privacy is always important. And our view on it is we publish a code of conduct that says what we believe is the proper way to use these technologies. We have certain use cases that we won't touch. So, for example, facial recognition in public, we, we don't do that. Uh, we don't think it's proper use. If you're going to do that, you need... Uh, transparency, you need consent, you need opt-in, you need opt-out, a lot of things, right? So it's more complicated in public, but in private property, in highly secured facilities where there is no right to privacy because the facilities themselves must be secured. Let's take, for example, a prison or a hospital where you have access to medical records. These have different policies and procedures and you want to be able to define that in software. So that's really our, is our approach is to give the customer the controls. We talk about putting the customer in the driver's seat Give them the wheel, give them, you know, the, the emergency brake and the gas and, and let them, you know, modulate what's right for them in their environments. If they can configure the system and software for their policy and procedures to reflect the regulatory environments in which they operate, and so long as that deployment is consistent with our code of conduct, we think that that's the right way to go about it. These technologies are incredibly powerful. I mean, they are incredibly helpful for humanity, but, the, but obviously, as we know, you know, with very... Uh, powerful technology, it can also be used in negative ways. And that's what we need to try to safeguard against, right? And I think the way to do it is to do it um, with transparency, right? To do it with openness and to do it in a way that's flexible because we, you know, we may do something today, for example, that we collectively as a society decide later we don't, we no longer want to do. doesn't mean you got to throw away your whole investment. It just means you change your, your policy in software. So that's our model, John. I think that gives the customer a lot of flexibility and we think that's going to uh, ultimately pay dividends for them. Yeah, privacy is such a critical aspect of what we're trying to do. We've got about five minutes left in the show, guys. And uh, I want to switch gears just a little bit from talking specifically about the solution. 
Uh, John, a high percentage of my, not necessarily a high percentage, but a good portion of my listening audience uh, are entrepreneurs like, like Matthias who have a technology that they have some special sauce and they're wondering what it takes to get a company like HPE to put what I consider kind of their brand equity and their resources behind them. What you guys have mobilized behind being able to scale this solution uh, for rapid deployment across large enterprises, uh, you know, is something that a, a, a new technology company, uh, you know, three to five years in would, would often struggle to do. Uh, when we start talking, you start talking about the power of we, not just HPE. Uh, can you highlight a little bit of what it takes for a company like HPE, HPE specifically, to kind of get behind the technology and say, "Yeah, we want to be part of the go-to-market with this thing." Yeah, no, for sure. And you know, through this uh, IoT AI journey, we've all been on, um, especially with uh, efforts um, with an HPE. Um, we've taken a lot of new technology partners through the years. Um, one of the common denominators that I always look at is, does it enable us to provide a right mix of technology to our customers? Uh, so you think about all these wonderful use cases and we talk about all the art of the possible. At the end of the day, does your technology fit the bill to solve some specific problems that the customer has immediately? And also, you know, as much as we want to meet the customer where they're at, Sometimes the best technology is stuff that they don't even know they need, that they know that they, that they may need. Um, so, you know, HPE with our technology partner program, as well as our Pathfinder program, we've um, uh, recruited and brought on and also invested in certain partners to enable this right mix of technology. So we talk about hardware, software, services, et cetera. And, you know, the, the key thing for us is, you know, first of all, does it solve a business outcome? Um, you know, can, can the customer see monetization, either uh, improving their productivity, cost reduction? One of the biggest areas right now is creating better experiences, not just customer experiences, but even worker experiences. Think about the safety issue that we have right now. Um, and a lot of these emerging technologies, you need to be able to prove it out pretty quickly, having a fast start. Um, be able to prove out value. Uh, we've seen the last few years uh, this whole POC pilot purgatory, a lot of science projects out there. So, you know, how do we work together, enable these technologies so that we could show that value right away and then be able to scale it out for production? And then finally, then decide that with the customer the best consumption model for them. And we talked about as a service, we make it easy, everything as a service with a Y at the end. Yep. So, so you could probably see what I'm talking about. It's the right mix, as simple as A, B, C, D. Assess a business outcome, build a use case-based pilot, create a solution for production, and then finally D, decide on the best consumption. That's fantastic. Uh, so, Matthias, from Cognition's perspective, what does having what's attractive for a company like Cognition to have somebody like an HPE to pick up and run with and help with a go-to-market on a use case um, as some of the entrepreneurs are out there listening in and wondering whether or not that's the type of route that they would like to go. I think John's, you know, hit the nail on the head, you know, with the kind of customer centered solution orientation. I think that's where you need to be you know, solving a customer specific problem. That's where we try to be. And we focus really, really, you know, uh, quite a bit on that 
And what that does, it narrows our aperture so much into our swim lane of what we're best at, right? And what we are best at is building enterprise software for smart buildings. And so I don't think we could be best at building enterprise-grade server hardware. I don't think we're going to be best at delivering an enterprise-grade services organization, right? But I think when a customer needs a solution, it's hardware, it's software, and it's services. And, and they don't think about it that way per se. They think about the solution. So what for us, what makes HP a great partner in the Point Next team is that's exactly how we're talking to customers. We're talking about what their problems are. We're talking about what solutions that we can offer them. And then when they say, okay, you know, quote it out for us, it breaks down into hardware, software, and services. Well, yeah. you know, cognition is software and HP takes care of the hardware and services. It's a really nice synergy. Um, they're really great at those other two things. And we don't need to try to be. We can just rely on their strength. They can rely on our strength. And combined, you know, it's, a, it's really a killer offering. Well, guys, I, w- I just want to thank you for coming on this week's show. Uh, we're going to wrap it up with uh, with with uh, with that uh, as kind of the last question to uh, to the two of you. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that I was fortunate enough or crazy enough, I'm not sure which, uh, to double major in mechanical engineering and economics uh, whenever I was in college. And what I often find out is that, uh, you know, in situations like this, you need to first start by really understanding the business challenge that you're trying to solve. And then once you figure out the biz, actual challenge you're trying to solve, to John Zhang's point, then monetize it and figure out how much is it worth to solve the problem. And that is so much of an easier thing to then take to your leadership and upsell. Whereas if you're not starting, if it's just some new whiz-bang technology that you're trying to get out into the marketplace or convince your leadership, hey, we need to do AI, hey, we need to do vision analytics, we need to do augmented reality it's hard for a leadership team to wrap themselves their heads around that. But if you actually bring them a real business challenge that they're trying to solve then and monetize it, I've never been told no whenever I had a solid business case. And uh, so let's talk a little bit about next week's show. Next week, I'm going to do another little pivot on the audience. Uh, Normally we focus on bootlegged innovations and bootleg advisors. Our sweet spot is manufacturing utilities, industrial applications, energy, Next week, we're going to do a little bit of a pivot. We're going to focus on smart cities. And we've got an amazing panel. Uh, One of our guests is a guy by the name of Mike Barlow. Uh, Mike Barlow, if you studied smart cities at all, you have to have read his book, Smart Cities, Smart Future. Uh, He's co-author of that book, and uh, it has really set the stage for me to step up and get involved in the Smart City Initiative in my own community here in Northeast uh, Northeast Florida. Uh, so in addition to Mike Barlow, we're going to have three amazing individuals from my local community that have been working on it, on it uh, with, with me. Uh, and I've been trying to get the tech community more engaged in the Smart City Initiative uh, for Smart North Florida. Jeff Sheffield as uh, a director of the North Florida Transportation Planning Organization, is one of the best facilitators and conveners I've ever met in my life. Uh, he will, I'll be fortunate enough to have him on the show. Jeff Winkler runs the, the North Florida 211 service for the United Way. Uh, so, again, uh, looking forward to next week's show. And above all else, keep on bootlegging.
Thank you for listening to Bootlegged Innovations. Be sure to join John Schultz again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again next week. 